Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by PayPal. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Hash. It's me, Zach Seward. I got Wendy O. I got Jensen Asking. I got Will Foxley. All right, it's been a crazy week. I mean, so much has happened. There's a bombshell against Binance, a bombshell against Coinbase. No bombshell as of yet today, but we'll see. The day is young. Let's go and look at some more Coinbase SEC stuff. Now, Coinbase, way back in July 2022, petitioned the SEC to tell it how to regulate various crypto assets. The SEC has not responded to that. It's been a long protracted thing. And now a U.S. court is ruling in favor of Coinbase and saying, hey, SEC, get it together. You got a week to respond to Coinbase's rulemaking petition. And that's the rules. Tell them what the deal is. And let's get this thing settled. So that's what's going on immediately in the wake of yesterday's SEC move to sue Coinbase over claims that it's operating as an unregistered security exchange. So this is heating up. I don't know, man. If I was getting beat around by the SEC, I just want to curl up in bed and cry. But Coinbase (laughs) is out here fighting this fight, uh, both in the court of public opinion and uh, as it relates to its rulemaking petition that it filed a while ago now. Will, what do you think? What's going on with this Coinbase thing? What do you expect? I mean, I'm not part of Coinbase, so I don't want to curl up and cry. There's a lot of sad stuff going on, guys. Like The coin prices, come on, it's my whole future. We're staked on this whole business, and it's getting sued to death by the SEC. Like, what am I supposed to do in 20 years, right? Like, back it up and get a job at 7-Eleven now? I think that's my future at this point. Uh, then the Binance case, definitely tough. And the final follow-up of the Binance case, of course, was that the SEC then later put in an action asking U.S. courts to block Binance U.S. from being able to sell any coins, basically freezing all assets on top of Binance U.S. So that was a huge follow-up that, of course, was covered on Coindesk yesterday. And then the follow-up this morning with the Coinbase case, again, two huge cases. So like, this is way too much to follow just for one case, but we have two at the same time. The Coinbase case was uh, a little bit different here, Zach, to, to, to your point here. They want this information from the petition they made a year ago. They asked for guidance over a year ago. They asked to meet with the SEC over 30 times. They've been very transparent from their side of the story, very transparent in covering this and trying to get the information out. The SEC has declined. To Gary Gensler and the SEC side, they've said time and time again that the rules of the road are the same. They see securities laws as governing all crypto markets, and they don't see a reason to issue any more guidance. You need to stick with the guidance that was created in the 30s and 40s. And so I don't know if they're 
going to put anything else out besides sort of like stating the same as they have in the past. Maybe in the next few days, they will state something new and or different. Yeah, I don't know if any of you have ever been in like a relationship or had like either a romantic relationship or a working relationship that has had just really poor communication and you're each saying something and you take something totally different away from that conversation. It feels like what's going on here. And I have to give some credit to Emily Parker this morning on First Mover and yesterday. She keeps bringing up this notion that the SEC and Coinbase live in these two very different realities. And the more information we get out of this, the more it feels like that. We're getting like two super different stories. Uh, And Brian Armstrong was on CNBC this morning and he talked about those. Not only did they request 30 times to meet with the SEC, but they did meet with the SEC 30 times is what he said on the show. And he said, you know, we asked for more clarity. We asked for all of these things and we were met with silence, which feels super weird. It feels like, you know, we're trying to have this discourse, but then on the other side of it, you're maybe getting stonewalled. The SEC hasn't responded to those comments, but I just like, I can only imagine the frustration. And I feel like that frustration has manifested in the way Coinbase has divulged what's happening in the media, the way that Brian Armstrong tweets what's going on, the way he goes on these shows and does these interviews. I can feel that frustration there. And the fact that now the courts are saying to the SEC, you need to actually respond to this request they made in 2022 because they asked for something and there was no response kind of makes me believe that they have really been trying to to get information um, out of the agency and they haven't been able to. Zach? I mean, I know Wendy's laughing, so I'll, I'll, keep, it, I'll keep it short. I mean, you see the frustration boiling over on both sides, right? Like in the statement yesterday, the SEC is like, just because you don't like the rules doesn't mean you don't have to follow them. Shut up. This is the deal. And then you have Coinbase on their side being like, we're trying to talk to you. You won't listen to us. So there's like this frustration on both sides where it's just, you're right. It's boiling over into just this, uh, this, this rage, this anger. It's just, it's just fascinating to watch. Anyway, Wendy gave a nice laugh sigh. Uh, I mean, Jen's previous I mean, bit, is so I this like, is this, this is real life, you guys. This is actually happening in 2023. We have so many entities of different public servants that have no idea what they're doing. The rest of the world on a global scale is laughing at the United States of America. We have all these people in power that literally cannot do their job. The fact that Gary Gensler is in charge of making rules and he under oath basically indicated he had no idea if the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap Ethereum was a security or not is problematic. How can you be under oath? Can you give those claims and then go after crypto asset exchange providers, essentially, and then have nothing to show for it. Like it, it makes no sense to me. And the people that are losing it, the people that are getting hurt is retail. The people that are having to pay for this is American taxpayers. Like America's not doing well financially. We're in a recession. Four out of 10 Americans cannot afford, they've had to modify their budgets just to afford food. And our taxpayer dollars are going to fight this ridiculous case. And I want to say that there was an article somewhere that indicated that Coinbase made $500 billion in revenue. So if somebody could fact check me on that, but the thing is, if they're making any type of revenue, they have to pay taxes on that. And if America's running in debt, wouldn't that be a good thing to kind of bring these companies in to foster them and to figure out a way to where it's financially beneficial to the United States of America instead of wasting American taxpayer dollars fighting the stupid case? Let's face it, Coinbase has got a lot of money. They're able to fight this. The same with Ripple. And I'm happy for them. I'm glad that they're going to be able to fight this. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's embarrassing. And um, if any, and I'm voting for whoever is pro crypto at this point, I don't care about social issues, Jen. I was just going to bring up Ripple as well. I think the deadline is June 13th for those Hinman papers to be revealed in the Ripple case. And I wonder 
if whatever comes from those papers when it comes to either being a security or not being a security is going to creep into these Coinbase and Binance cases. I think the SEC scrubbed their website of Hinman and his biography and, and whatever over there. So they're, they're working kind of to do these unethical things and it's all public and it's just very sad at this point because again, the people that are getting hurt is American taxpayers and people that pay their crypto taxes, people that follow the laws and people that just want some sort of regulation or actually not even regulation, some sort of guidance as to what's happening. So again, the poor people, the underdogs are getting hurt. Guys, I have some breaking news for the show right now. Binance US has posted an article in the last hour delisting 40 trading pairs, most of them trading pairs with Tether, USDT. And there's like one inch on here, Zcash, Zen, a bunch of other tokens I can't even name because they're just all over the place. But I think this kind of shows you that there's like more pressure on these exchanges right now. And there's more pressures on the products that they're selling. And that's something that we discussed the last two days, right? With the Binance case and the Coinbase case that a lot of the pressures that are on the exchanges is because the products that they're selling themselves are seen as unregistered securities within the eyes of the SEC. I think one thing to keep watching going forward is that some of these exchanges will be proactive in delisting a lot of these exchange pairs, a lot of these trading pairs. And it won't be just the ones that the SEC is going after, right? It's going to be other exchanges that say, hey, this product probably not worth the juice I'm squeezing out of it. So let's just delist it and get rid of it. So something to watch. Your favorite token might not be listed forever. I had one more thought. There was just a headline that moved on Bloomberg about Catherine Coley. Remember Catherine Coley, the Binance US CEO, who has been not heard of for a while? Her testimony is in uh, part of that suit against Binance. So that is a fascinating resurfacing of someone we've all been wanting to hear from. Good stuff. Zach, wasn't there like a $400 million plus bounty from the SEC for a whistleblower lately? But it was anonymous. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Okay, let's go to our next story after that little fervor of speculation there. Let's talk about some stable coins. Stable coin corner. This is almost the road to boring, but not quite because stable coins have seen their fair share of action recently. USDC, an entity affiliated with the company Circle, is moving into Singapore, getting some licensing. This will enable USDC to be opened up in other markets, to have more stable jurisdictions. This, of course, comes after what happened in February with a lot of the banking partners of Circle and the Circle Consortium going under and Circle trying to figure out who to have as their banking provider. But if they can continue to move internationally and start working in safe regimes, then they can have a safer product. Another story at the same time is that there's also, a push in crypto circles to continue building crypto-native stablecoins. Just because Terra Luna occurred doesn't mean that crypto-natives are not interested in making stablecoins themselves. Ave is building a GHO stablecoin. They've been running a testnet for the last few months and has gone quite well. So they're looking now at launching this product to Ethereum mainnet. This would, of course, accompany DAI which is the largest native stablecoin. It's asset-backed on the Ethereum blockchain. Zach, this feels like a story for you. I got to throw it to you. Because it's boring. It's a boring old story. He likes boring boring old guy. Get that boring old guy to comment. Yeah, we're talking about stablecoins. All right, well, sure, let's do this thing. I'll go back to the USDC one in Singapore. I think that's super interesting. Obviously, there's a lot of sort of uh, jockeying for which like leading Asian crypto hub will emerge as one that wins this industry. And I think obviously, like, it's hard to view this news um, without understanding the subtext of what's going on in the US, right? Like, Circle is a US-based company, probably going to be in the US for a long time. I think there is some future world in which maybe some of their technology powers 
a, uh, a digital dollar in the U.S. at the CBDC level. But for now, they're also hedging their bets and they're saying, okay, we get, we're getting some key licensure in Singapore and we're going to make it proper. So it's interesting to like, see, I think, this sort of global jockeying going on for who's going to serve this industry in a compliant and regulated fashion, right? Whether that's Hong Kong, whether that's Japan, whether that's Korea, whether it's Singapore. And Singapore certainly putting a stamp of approval on Circle uh, in this instance, I think is quite notable. So that to me is sort of like geopolitical subtext of these things. You know, you have chaos in America and you have Circle saying, okay, well, we got some licensure in Singapore. Singapore's cool. You know, they're ready to build the future of finance with us. And you have Jeremy Allaire and Dante Desparte saying as much in this release. So that to me is what's notable. Um, I'll toss it to Jen in case she has thoughts on that one. Well, you guys can tell me if I'm crazy for drawing this parallel. But when I was reading this story, I was just like noting this seeming growing race and tension between CBDCs and stable coins. And what's happening in Singapore is like kind of interesting for me, right? If USDC is getting licensed there, I know Singapore at the end of last year said that they were testing out a few different CBDC pilots, but retail wasn't super interesting to them. And then a few weeks ago, Singapore um, talked about this partnership they have with the New York Fed and settling uh, interbank uh, transfers using CBDCs. And like maybe there's this world where stable coins solve the problem for retail and CBDCs can be used on a governmental level for banks to interact with each other. And we've solved the issues by working together. And maybe Singapore has figured it out. I don't know. That's what I, that's what I took away from the story. And maybe it's totally off, but that's how my brain was working this morning. Sounds anti-Bitcoin to me. I don't know. <laughs> well, Will, everything that is not Bitcoin is an obvious S coin. Okay, come on now. Um, as far as this story goes, I honestly think that USDC is going to be the CBDC of the United States of America. I think our public servants are just way too lazy to create something themselves. They can't even define what a security is versus a commodity. And why would they create something on their own? I think that they're just going to use, they'll partner with Circle at some point and they're going to have to rush to do so because it looks like China played like 4D chess with us and is a lot more pro um, crypto assets than the U.S., even though they uh, their country operates a little bit differently than ours, but maybe not so much differently when you get down into the details. All right, I'll wrap this thing. Good stablecoin chat. Attention crypto holders, moving crypto is seamless and secure with PayPal. With support for Bitcoin, ETH, and more, you can buy, sell, hold, send, and check out with crypto at millions of shops online. Not to mention, PayPal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or hodling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com slash crypto. Terms and conditions apply. Louis Vuitton has some new NFTs and they are physically item backed and soul bound. The NFTs are going to be made available on June 16th and will cost around $42,000. I am now pausing for dramatic effect. As part of the tokens utility roadmap, Holders will receive a physical replica of their digital treasure trunk, which will also unlock upcoming access to products and immersive events. Will, I know that you are probably so bullish on this project that has to do with NFTs and luxury items. So tell us, what are your thoughts? I have very mixed feelings about this. So I have two things. First, the soulbound tokens. Kind of cool to see that go from 
a Vitalik blog post in about 12 months to an actual product with like a mainstream consumer. A lot of times these things take years, right? Ethereum has been in the works for over a decade now and is starting to get like some mainstream appeal. A lot of people are starting to build on it, right? In like mainstream circles. So like brands that like your mom or brother or whoever would know about. In this case, like a soulbound token, that ERC idea was only brought up like very recently. And the fact that they're already building on top of it is pretty cool. And for those who don't know, a soulbound token essentially is a token that like cannot be separated from your wallet, as I understand it. Once it's transferred there, it sort of sticks there forever. And the point is like you have an NFT that can't go another place and it's some sort of like identity that's stuck with that wallet address, which is an interesting idea versus other NFT models where the NFT can be transferred time and time again. On the other point, I don't know how I feel about this, Jen, because I do think that there is a market for trying to figure out uh, how luxury goods can be like timestamped and controlled so things aren't faked. Like the whole luxury marketplace obviously has a deep imprint in most people's economies, but there's also like this huge fake market and fraud market that's really hard to get around. And NFTs might solve it, but it might also not solve it because you can easily separate the physical from the NFT version of it. And just because you made an NFT of it doesn't mean that they can't spoof an NFT or they can't spoof the NFT imprint on the physical object. I don't know. There's something about that physical digital analog that's just like not quite working yet. Wendy? So I used to sell used designer goods that I would buy from like thrift stores to pay for community college. And one of the biggest problems would be make, like authenticating something. Like, how do you do that? And I think that the I think that NFTs and authentication comes into is a good thing. There are different caveats. There are ways that you can go ahead and actually prove that something is authentic or not. Like people actually, there's actual job market for people who can authenticate this type of stuff, like luxury goods. And I do think like the price point is a little bit high, but again, their target audience or their target market is going to be people with money, people that can afford this stuff. So the fact that you're getting a physical good. And then you're getting this intangible good. I think that it's amazing. And I think that depending on where they decide to launch it, I'm not sure what, what part of the world they're going to launch. I think it's going to be a success. It sounds like it will be. I mean, if you buy this product, you get the little like custom thing. People with this type of money that don't mind dropping $42,000. This is more of a collector's item for them. And these people that have all that collect designer goods, they have like walls and walls full of this stuff. So I think it's awesome. I like it. And I think that it actually does help solve a bit of a problem. And you will be able to authenticate it a little bit better than you would without an NFT stamp. I just wonder if the authentication piece is actually a driver here in this project. Like when I read the story, I didn't think that like, oh, cool, this is a new way to authenticate a product. I thought this is a new way for Louis Vuitton to engage their like a really high worth, high net worth audience and get them involved in crypto in a way that they're already understanding and they're already involved in Louis Vuitton. Like this gets them like it sounds like first access to new products. It gets them first access to Louis Vuitton events. And I think that's what people are buying. I don't think when people buy this physical item and get the NFT, they're thinking, oh, I'm going to connect this and this NFT is going to prove that this is authentic. I think this is just like an extension of the Louis Vuitton brand and maybe one of the more clever ways of incorporating crypto into the luxury brand community. That said, they have done a lot of things and they haven't really worked out. Like I, I remember I played that Louis Vuitton game. I thought it was going to be so fun and it was just not fun. It sounds like they figured it out though. I'm happy to see them in the, in the bear market actually doing something that may work for their audience. Well, we need like a project token tracker for every single person on the show and just like add up the bets over time and who's doing the best. I have a feeling Zach would be neutral. Wendy would be up. I'd be right below her. And then Jen might be 
the bottom. But that's just my take. I'm playing the long game. Maybe for now, I might be the bottom. But in the long run, I think Zach's I'm out all in all of coins. you. Yeah. Zach is no risk. No risk, stagnant. baby. Well, slight risk. Slight risk. Anyway, I just want to say, you guys remember that Krayshawn song? It was like Louis, Louis, Gucci, Gucci, Prada. You guys remember that line? Uh, old yeah. guy. Old guy rap reference. Okay, cool. So all those brands have been surprisingly resilient in this whole Web3 thing. Anyway, let's change gears. What do you got, Wendy? All right. So we have to talk about this story. To me, this is um, not shocking or surprising, but it's my time to shine because this is what I do on the Tic Tac. Research shows majority of Pepe investors caught in high stakes game of musical chairs. Research from Singularity Dow shows early participants of Pepe made the most gains. Well, that's pretty obvious. Early profit taking has drained substantial liquidity. So Basically, if you guys know what Pepe is, Pepe was a very well-known meme coin, and um, a lot of people made a lot of money very, very early on. This is exactly how you want to play this stuff. I'm a big advocator for profit-taking. We have a strategy called the moon bag. It's basically you dump a little bit of disposable income in after you've done your due diligence. Number happens to go up. You remove your initial investment, some profit, and then you continue to pull out more profit as time goes on. And it's a very, um, very lucrative strategy if you play your cards right and you have enough time to manage this. So I don't understand why people don't expect um, number to go down with coins, especially in a bear market. It happens. It doesn't matter how good the project is. It doesn't matter how good the team is. It doesn't matter how much um, what the social score is online. It is what it is. I mean, Bitcoin goes down too. It's just part of the game. Jen, do you want to comment on Pepe and the investors in musical well, chairs? All I have to say is if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. So with Pepe though, the, the project has said, like, this is just fun. There's like nothing behind this. I think that narrative has followed Pepe around. So this data isn't surprising. It's also not surprising to hear that during a bear market, a bunch of whales are the ones who are profiting off of this coin. I will point out, though, we spoke on the show about Pepe, I don't know, probably a few weeks ago. And the memity of it all and the social interaction of it all was where the retail investors ha really participated in this coin and that doesn't surprise me and so i don't know that's all i have to say about pepe zach you got anything better i thought pepe was the future of finance i thought pepe <laughs> was going to replace the us dollar i thought that pepe was going to be the next big thing what what do you mean what do you mean it's down what do you mean it pumped and then it dumped what like what what do you, what's going on irresponsible I think, like, I think the meme coin thing man i don't know i feel like we need to get stop giving these things oxygen, right? It's like all part of the playbook. It's like terrible. Like we just give it oxygen, it pumps up. People are like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be the next long-term thing. This is the new Doge. And then sure enough, two weeks later, it's like, oh, it's gone. There's, we'll never talk about it again until the next one comes along. And then we I do don't know. talk about Maybe it. Maybe I'm just jaded and callous, but these meme coin things, I think they need, to, Energy. they need to, they need to, I don't know. They need to do something about these meme coins. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big, <laughs> you guys, I'm a big proponent of people doing what they want to do with their money. I don't like to censor anyone. I don't like to tell other people what to do. I mean, people are going to do what they want to do regardless. It doesn't matter how much you scream and yell. And it's actually pretty funny because my educational videos on practicing risk management, where to get free education on how to invest or trade, all of that stuff, those videos generally get the least amount of views always. And this, the speculative stuff or me being excited about who like coin X, Y, and Z, those get the most play. So it's a, it's a community problem. It's a social problem. It's not um, necessarily a meme coin problem. And those will still continue to happen. But again, remember the biggest scam of all time is fiat currency. It's just gambling. I mean, that's kind of the hard thing with everything that's going on with Capitol Hill and the Coinbase and the Binance stuff, right? Is like there's 
not a clear distinction between gambling and crypto, between Bitcoin and Pepe for a lot of people. And until that, there's more clear delineation, we're probably going to see like a very anti-regulatory stance. That's my take on it right there. So I kind of agree with Zach. That was a Zach take. Love that. Thanks, Will. Zach is rubbing up on Will. I agree with Wendy too, though. I mean, it's just just part of what it is. (laughs) You can't agree with everyone, Will. My take did, so I proved you wrong. I'm sorry. There you go. Actually, I disagree with you still. Magic was made. (laughs) Wow. I don't right. have an opinion, so Whoa, it actually break doesn't it up. make sense. Break it up, Will. guys. Break it up. <laughs> I got to shut go. down the show. Give me a second here. Break it up. That's it for the show today. It's fun to see the tension boil over. I'm Zach. We got Wendy, Jen, Will. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 